Well, it's my uh, great honor to be able to share the word with you this morning. And I know that Pastor David gave a bit of an introduction to kind of who we are here at X Church. And um, I, if you're new, you know, welcome. Uh, I am not normally the one who speaks. So also, if you're new, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't get to hear the one that usually speaks. But uh, I just want to let you know a couple things we believe. We believe that great relationships still exist. We don't believe that every single marriage has to be dysfunctional. We don't believe that parents should hate their children. We don't believe that children should hate their parents. We believe that the Bible gives us a great deal of information and wisdom about how to have a relationship with Jesus and also how to have a relationship with each other. And finally, we believe it's very, very difficult to worship or connect with God if you treat other people like garbage. So we have to take care of some of these lateral things as well as these vertical things. And in order to do that, sometimes it means looking past something uh, that maybe is not the best thing for you. Um, I would just challenge you to ask anybody who's been married for more than about 22 minutes, um, and they will tell you they love their husband or wife, but they don't always like them. But we forbear, and we stay together, and in, in that way, we, we create great relationships. Uh, for the last, I don't know, four years, David's been doing this identity series, if you guys have been watching that one. Five years? <laughs> helping, us, helping us understand what our identity is in Christ. Uh, and that either there's, there's, a big, there's a big separation. Either you are a Christ follower. You call Christ the Lord of your life. You've been saved. You have asked him uh, for forgiveness, which he gives wholly and freely to all those who call upon his name. Or you are not. And in that, the, the paths diverge quickly. And we become, as Christ followers, we learn our identity because of who God made us to be. Instead of just kind of wondering, what's the purpose of life? I don't know where I'm supposed to go. And I, uh, uh, we, we have this knowledge, this ability, this great wisdom from the Word that tells us that God created you for a purpose. And that purpose is to be joyful. That purpose is to, is to have great relationship both with God and with each other. That is how he created us. If you remember when he created Adam, he looked down and he said, this is not good for a man to be alone. And so he, he created Eve. And, and in that, we created the, these relationships. And then God came down and he walked with them and he talked with them. And there was relationship. And then we decided, or, or Adam and Eve decided, and we, we inherited uh, to make a really bad move, which is to say, we don't need God, we can do this on our own. We're gonna make our own decisions. How's that worked out for us over these last little while? And so we have value. And in, in that value and in, in finding that personal value, uh, David gave a couple different um, examples. For instance, we got the person that goes to American Idol and they try out, and, I, and I, I found this out to be true. So when you go to try out for American Idol, the first thing you do is you go through a preliminary test. Okay? So someone's going to sit there, not the judges. And they don't got the Simon Cowell and all that stuff. Just, uh, just someone they've hired to listen to you. And if you're really, really good, of course, they'll say, we go ahead and go forward. Or if you're really, really bad. The messed up part is they will still tell that person the same thing. You're really good. I think you're going to make it and send them off. And then, of course, it makes for just hilarious television uh, because they go in and they're just awful, tone deaf, and, and they'll always say something like, my grandma thinks I'm the best singer in the world. Your grandma's deaf. Uh, you're not the best singer. And, and so it, it hurts our feelings. We get offended, and, and all sorts of things happen. Knowing that we have value in Christ means we don't have to have value on American Idol. Uh, we, we are all valuable. We are all what the Bible says we are God's workmanship. 
his masterpiece. He made us. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows everything you were going to do long ago and, long, and all for all time. He knows us. He has a relationship with us. And all these people that are created that have now come into this local expression, which we call Acts Church here in Vancouver, Washington, and online, and some people in Tennessee and Honduras and all over the place, um, are, are kind of joined together in this expression of the body of Christ. And David gave us this verse uh, last week that I want to go to, Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. I'm, I'm pulling this out in the NIV just for this one. Um, and it says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. This is going to set us up for what we're going to talk about today, which is that, yes, you are created by God. Yes, you are valuable. Yes, we are different. Um, I can guarantee you that if I were to ask my sister-in-law, Tiffany, to come preach right now, she would smack me in the face and run. She has no desire to be up here doing this. Know why? Because we're different. And that's good. Because I don't really want to deal or are any good at all this video and, and, and photo. And I mean, have you seen Tiffany's pictures? Wow. I mean, really good. I would be awful at it. Um, and so we are different, and that is good because there's some of this and some of that and some of that. We make up a body of Christ. Now, this has got to be such an important thing to the writers, uh, to Paul, as, he, as we have Romans here. And then if we flip over to 1 Corinthians, totally different letter to a totally different group of people, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again, which is just funny to me, uh, verses 12 to 14. For as the body is one and has many members... But all the members of that one body being many are one body. Also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Uh, we have this thing that we talk about in, in pastor circles. If it says it in the Bible, it's important. If it says it twice, it's probably pretty important. It says it 20 times, then of course, I hope you don't forget what they say in there. But it's, it shows up twice in Scripture, this exact analogy of being the body of Christ and how we are all different in that body of Christ. The problem that we face is we can get very self-focused. I hate to use the word self-centered. Where I go, what are my gifts and how do I get my way into the body of Christ in the way I want to? like the American Idol contestant who thinks they're the greatest singer in the world. So someone says, I really want to do all this media. Like David made that video. Do you guys know that? David made this unity thing. He made it. Can anybody else make that video? Maybe a couple people, but not a lot. But what if you were convinced this is my thing? I'm really good at this, and you were terrible at it. Well, that would, that would be trouble. And the easiest way I can describe this, because I like to do stuff, is this very simple toy that we all played with when we were a child. You guys recognize this toy right here? We got the round one and the square one and I don't know, an egg and a triangle. And um, some of you needed to play with this more because I've seen how you park out there. <laughs> so I'll, I'll pass this around afterwards. <laughs> I didn't realize that was gonna hit so close to home, all right. Uh, and, and what we have is we've got sometimes when we're self-centered, we're thinking about ourselves and we're trying to think, what am I? And we have our skills and we have and the needs and we have whatever and we say, okay, this is us. And then we go, but I really want to be in the round hole and this is what we do, beating against the church all day. It's going to get in there eventually, right? And so uh, when it doesn't work and we get frustrated, but we're dedicated. 
We're dedicated people. Uh, what we have to do, and I'm sorry, I borrowed this from Haley and Austin. They were just up here singing with us. Um, I think I'm going to break it because what we want to do is if it doesn't work the first time, just get a bigger hammer, right? And then I'm not really going to do it. James is going to be very upset. Uh, but I mean, that's, that's what we want to do. We're just going to, the church will figure it out. I'm around, I'm not a square. I'm, I'm, and that's what we do. We, we end up trying to beat a square peg into a round hole. Trying to, trying to fit ourselves into what, kind of what we want, what, what might be my favorite thing to do, instead of just kind of being open to what, what God is leading us to and what the needs of the church are and what, what you are, what you are in Christ, which is valuable, individual, and different. The truth is we're different and we're beautifully so. Because of the differences we have in our church body, we become better, more beautiful, more able to reach the world and show them the glory of who God is. If we just had a whole bunch of Daniels, this church would make no sense. If, like, I'm playing the piano and then there's, like, ten other Daniels up here also trying to play the piano and then everyone's jumping up and down, the, the, first of all, the floor would probably fall through, I'm pretty sure. It just, it wouldn't make sense if we had a bunch of Davids or a bunch of Daniels. Uh, David and I are brothers. We grew up in the same house. Very, very different people. You may notice just in the way that we preach. Very, very different people. That's cool. That's good that, you know, we get a little bit of this and a little bit of that. That is, that is a benefit. That is, that is what makes the church such a great place to go. And so as the body of Christ, I'm going to give you a little example here that I, I think is cool. I have to be very careful. I sent my wife down to the Hobby Lobby yesterday and said, can you see if you can find these glass panels? And uh, she, she went and found them, but they're super expensive. So I have to be extra careful. Uh, so we have these glass panels. Got like little spacers in here. So, so let's start with this one. This is a nice red glass panel. It is what we call opaque. Can't see through it. I can see light through it, I guess, but it's not clear. It's got color to it. Uh, you old folks might call it stained glass. And this piece of stained glass is going to represent the older generation. Just an easy example for me. Again, I can pick on them really easily. The older generation. And the older generation, if I were just to totally like group you all into one thing and, and make fun of you, um, I would say they like the older songs. So we like, you know, that greatest thy faithfulness sure was rocking and that blessed assurance was sure cool. Um, we, we like that. We also like the lights to be on. We don't like the lights down so much. Um, we enjoy about a 75 minute sermon, apparently. Uh, because every older pastor always preaches for 75 minutes. Uh, we, we, there's, there's things we like. Um, and, and that's okay. That's all right. But if, if we were to say, okay, this is the older generation, and this is, I don't know, our teens and young adults, and the older generation says, we've been here longer. We, we know what's up. We're going to be in front. And now the younger generation, I can't see it. Because remember, these are opaque. I can't see through them. Um, and so what we have to say is there's value to this older generation. Uh, the most important, and I think that people forget, is the wisdom that they've developed. Now, is that automatic? No, I've, I've met some unwise older people. Sure. I'm not going to name any names, but uh, Bill Doty is wearing shorts today, so I don't know. It's right there. Come on, Bill. So maybe don't take his advice on how to dress in the winter. Uh, but, but the older generation has, has experience. They have wisdom. They have knowledge. Uh, if, if there's something you're going through you've never been through before, for instance, I don't know, how to cash in your retirement or something, talk to an older person. You want to know where the church was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, if they remember, because remember, they're old, but if they remember, they can tell you a lot about how the church has developed, 
uh, where it was and where we've come. Uh, my dad will tell stories about how the first time he brought a guitar into the church, people lost it. Can't have a guitar in church. Pianos and organs only. <laughs> you will sit while you sing. You will fold your hands. We sing out of the hymnal on page 237, verses 1, 2, and 5. I wish I didn't know that just firsthand, but I grew up in an older church, so uh, that's where it was. And then one day we, we had the guitars on stage and then someone brought in a drum set. Nope, that's it. We're done. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, the older generation has been through some stuff. They've gained wisdom. They are valuable just like anybody else is valuable. We must not forget the older generation. I got to put, I got to be careful. I'm going to break this thing. Let's pull this other one out too. And then we've got, let's say, the middle generation. If this one's our youngers, then we'll say this is the middle. And I hate this because this is me, and I really don't like to be called middle-aged. You know what I'm saying? Call me middle-aged. 41 years old. This will be us. Okay? I just got to deal with it. Tomorrow I'll be even older. So this middle group, uh, they can kind of connect to that older generation. Uh, they, they understand they were raised by them, uh, but they've... they've We've carved out our own way of doing things. We're going to be more toward the drums and the guitars, um, maybe even like wearing flannel and stuff like that, like grunge. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. David. (laughs) (laughs) And there's value to this middle generation uh, because most of us are working. We're in careers. We probably are raising children. Uh, we have a lot of knowledge to offer. We've been through a, a, quite a bit of stuff. Uh, we're, we're capable. We're able to serve and help. We're not kind of stuck, um, kind of trying to make our way through life. There's a great deal of value to this middle generation. This middle generation provides uh, a, just a ton of support to the church. Our volunteers, a great deal of them are in this generation, and that's great. Because kids have to go to school, and, and the older folks, they've, they've already served in the nursery, okay? They don't want to go back down there. Um, although I really need you to, if you would. Uh, sidebar, volunteer for ex-kids. Um, but we have a lot of volunteers in this generation. This generation is also valuable. But if I were to take this generation and put it in front of the younger generation, they would disappear. And that's not how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to all be present, valuable, and seen in our church. I guess this bag will be the church as I put a seat in here. And then we've got our younger generation. The younger generation, uh, they're going to be a little bit more into the laser light shows, the rock and roll. I want a cool video. Uh, I'd prefer if Daniel would speak because he tends to like do st- crazy stuff on stage. I don't want to hear a lecture for an hour and a half. I want I want a video. Can you, can you pop that into a YouTube or a TikTok? I don't even know what the TikTok is, but I'm sure it's, there's sermons on there. Um, they tend to be uh, more after kind of the bite size, the, the give me the quick points because I got stuff to do uh, type of thing. They're also trying to make their way in the world. They need wisdom. They need some experience. They need instruction from their parents, my generation, or their grandparents, the older generation. Uh, if, if we were to let uh, the younger generation make all the decisions, the church would probably look different because we wouldn't be able to see the other two generations anymore. This is the problem that we have as we get in front of ourselves. We, we get self-centered. Think about, well, I'm a part of this generation. This is how we do church. And the younger people say, well, I've never been to your church with hymnal and page 247 verses 1, 4, and 5. All I know is when the, when the words are on the screen. The younger generation most likely probably doesn't bring a Bible with them. You know why? It's right here. What are you doing with paper? It's right here. Okay, that's cool. Everybody is different, and that's okay. 
We are made beautiful and whole, and, 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 the, and the picture is completed because we're all together. But here's the problem. Another famous thing. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm trying not to break this. I kept the receipt, Susan. We'll, we'll just return them if, if something happens. <laughs> here's the problem. Church would be this great place if it weren't for all the people in it. Because when we mix in all these different things, it is very, very easy to find and focus on all our differences. A while ago, I gave a, a sermon about offenses, and we built a fence on the stage, if any of you were there to, to watch that, or you can go back and watch that on the, on the app or on YouTube. Um, and I, I gave you Satan's goal. Satan's goal is destruction. His strategy is division. His tactic is offense. As an offense grows, I really wanted to, I wanted to be the one making those videos, and they told me I couldn't offense. And then someone else gets an opportunity to do that, and you go, I sure hate that person. Division. You know what? I'm not going to go to church anymore. I tried once. They were mean to me. Destruction. His goal is destruction, but he, he doesn't just walk up and say, I'm going to break you. He starts with an offense and his strategy is division. He would love nothing more than for us to get so focused on our different colored glass. He would love for you just to sit there in, 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 the, in the congregation right now and think about the person over there or over here and just how much better you are than them or how much better they are than you and feel guilty and ashamed. How, how much you wish you were able to do this or I wanted to be able to do that and, and I'm still waiting for an answer on this and I can't get a hold of that and, and, and division and, and Satan just, just loves it and he laughs at it and he says, my goal, my, my goal was destruction. I started with some offense. My strategy was division. I've achieved that and that division goes through and then we're finally done. I think I broke it. Goal achieved. Now, luckily, <laughs> luckily, my wife is here, um, and I don't want to have to pay for those, so I'm going to ask Anna to come up and see if she can fix them for us. <laughs> I mean, God's got a restoration. And so she's going to come on up here, and I don't know what you can do with that. Don't cut yourself. Sorry. While she does that, I'm going to tell you another story. A story about a donkey. A donkey named Joe. Might as well name him Joe. I don't know. He needs a name. And Joe the donkey was a great donkey. He lived on this farm, and the farmer loved him. He did whatever donkeys do on farms. I don't know what donkeys do on farms. I'd all, in the cartoons, they're always trying to get the donkey to do something. He won't do it. I don't, I don't know what it is they're trying to get him to do, but he's doing something. Been a great donkey. For years and years, he's almost become the farmer's like pet. Loves the farmer. And, and it's gotten old enough now uh, where he can't really do the work that needs to be done. So the farmer just lets him wander. You know, he's just this great Joe the donkey. And, and Joe is wandering around one day and he comes upon this old dried up well that was on the farmer's property. And Joe, uh, kind of round peg square hole in it, uh, decides the best place for a donkey to be would be inside this well. Ooh, that's how smart we are when we try to put a square peg in a round hole. And Joe falls to the bottom of the, of the well. The farmer is looking for Joe. It's dinner time, whatever, can't find him. 
but he hears something. And so he starts walking closer to the sound, and what he's hearing is Joe's donkey screams. This, help me, help me, help me, help me. And the farmer looks down and sees Joe, and Joe, what are you doing, man? Um, And he starts trying to think of a way to get Joe out of the well. So he's getting as clever as he can. He's got some rope, and he's lowering the rope down there, seeing if he can pull Joe out. But Joe's a donkey. He's not very smart, and they can't can't get him out. So he, he calls some of his neighbors over, and what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And He's not coming up with anything. Uh, the donkey continues to cry and scream, poor Joe, looking up from the well with nowhere to go. And as farmers sometimes have to do, he had to make a decision about what was best for Joe. And the answer was, the best thing we could do for Joe right now is end his suffering. He's not going to get out of there. And he's going to starve. And he's going to be scared. And he's going to scream. I can't take the screams. And so the, the quickest and fastest way they thought of getting Joe out of this well was to bury him. And so they grabbed shovels and they just started throwing dirt down into the well, trying not to even pay attention to what they're doing. Could you imagine this feeling of burying Joe? Joe, being a donkey, and he's not very smart, as the, wa- as the dirt would come down and like land on him, he would just do what donkeys do. <laughs> Shake that off. Some dirt down there, I'll just step up and As hours and hours went by as they're throwing the dirt on, each time it came, Joe would just shake it off, take a step up. Until after a few hours, the dirt had filled up so high that Joe just walked right out of that well. Right into the farmer's hands. I love you, Joe. You've been saved. You've been saved because you never took the dirt coming down as your own death sentence. Even though my intention was to kill you. You didn't see it that way. You saw it as a way up, a way out. Now, Joe the donkey is a great story that that mirrors or mimics a story in the Bible. It's a story about a guy named Joseph. Joe and Joseph. Hi, see what I did there? I'm clever. Now, last week, Pastor David was talking about his arts and crafts skills. And... um, He's not very good. He said, if I were to draw something, you would be dumber for looking at it. Do you guys remember he said that last week? I, on the other hand, because we're so different, I'm an extremely talented drawler. I love to make drawings. So I, because the Bible is fairly fairly good at describing exactly what Joseph looks like. I mean, it is not very good at all, actually. But I feel I've drawn such a good picture, you will be able to tell exactly who this picture is. Here's a picture I drew of Joseph. I can tell it's him. You want to see him with his coat of many colors? Check this out. Thank you. Those are for sale in the lobby afterwards. Uh, Please take that down. Now we are all dumber for that. (laughs) Joseph uh, was one of many sons of a guy named Jacob. Uh, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And it's kind of the beginning of the Jewish menagerie. And uh, Israel, or Jacob, having all these children, Joseph was one that he had later on in life. And I'm just going to say it, Israel, or Jacob, uh, was just not a very good dad because he clearly had a favorite, and it was Joseph. Love Joseph. And Joseph, knowing that his dad loved him more than everyone else, um, was totally inequipped with zero wisdom. I mean, honestly, when we read this story... All I can think every time I read it is, what a moron. 
is Joseph. But let's, let's take a look here in Genesis uh, chapter 37, verses 3 through 8. And it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. He also made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. This happens in church all the time. Because I really wanted to be able to do this thing, and I see someone else doing it. The division that causes destruction turns into this hate, this burning, I can't stand it when that person gets to do this thing that I wanted to do, or that I haven't gotten this answer. It just burns. It's hatred. His brothers hated him, couldn't speak peacefully to him. So let's just set the stage here. Joseph is the favorite. All his brothers hate his guts. It's not a secret. They don't like him. So watch what he does next. Just think about this. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Okay, Joseph, what was in this dream, I wonder? <laughs> you probably know this story. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed, knowing they hate him. Shut up, Joseph. <laughs> there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood tall all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his work. Advice time. If you have a dream about your brothers and sisters and they're going to bow down to you, keep it to yourself. <laughs> they hate you. They already hated him. And, and his best knowledge is the best, the most wise thing he could think to do was to tell them that I'm having these dreams, these, pro these prophetic dreams that mean that one day you're going to bow down to me? Come on, Joseph. Come on. Where's the wisdom? Did you counsel with anyone? Okay, we're, this has got to be an example of a younger generation guy. He's a young guy. Did, did you go up to a generation above you, ask dad what, you, what he thought about it? Did you go up to grandma and grandpa? Did you ask them about it? Did you get any wisdom from anywhere? No. See, I, I'm just... I'm just this piece of glass and you can't see through me. All that matters is me. I'm going to square peg into a round hole it. I don't care. I'm just going to make my decisions. Well, Joseph's decisions caused a problem for him. And he, while out one day with his brothers, they gathered him up and they threw him in a well. Remember Joe the donkey? <laughs> Except they didn't try to bury Joseph. They wanted to. They wanted to kill him right there. But kind of clearer heads prevailed. The older of the brothers kind of saved him, and they sold him into slavery. Dirt on Joseph's back. And Joseph, as a slave, is sold to this guy, Potiphar, and he's in Potiphar's house, and he's doing great. He's, he's getting older, and he's, he's apparently getting even better looking than the picture I just showed you, if you can imagine that. He's getting better looking. He's young. He's, he's doing all the work. He's, he's, he's kind of ascending in Potiphar's household. Even though he's a slave, he's got some, some room to walk and some stuff to do. And Potiphar's wife takes notice of young Joseph. And uh, let's just say she would like to spend some quality time with him. And uh, Joseph, in this case, being wise, says, no, nah, I ain't about that life. No, nah, it would be bad. See, my, you're my boss's wife. If I'm honoring my boss, I shouldn't do that. I'm out. And so he takes off. Of course, this offends 
How does it start? Offense, right? Which causes division, which equals destruction. It offends Potiphar's wife, who decides to tell lies to Potiphar uh, that Joseph did, in fact, force himself upon her. And so, of course, Joseph is taken from his position of finally kind of getting somewhere. Now he's thrown in jail. Back to the bottom. And in jail, he's there for years in jail. And as he's in jail, uh, some people start having some dreams. Dreams, okay. And he is able to decipher the dreams for these people. Um, unfortunately, one of those people was going to die, and the other one was going get, to get brought back into the Pharaoh's presence. And so he said, hey, when you get to the Pharaoh, please just let him know I'm in here, I'm innocent, um, do something for me. And so his friend that he helped out, you know, just decipher this dream for him, um, he gets out, he goes to the Pharaoh, and immediately says nothing. Doesn't mention Joseph once. More dirt into the well. Joseph, though, continues to be who he is. He ascends even in jail. He becomes, I don't know what they call it, a custodian or something they call it, where, where, you, where, you, where you're a little more in charge, you get a little more freedom, you're kind of trusted in the jail. He, he's, he's raising through the ranks until one day the Pharaoh has a dream and no one can figure out what the dream means. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, his buddy that he freed like a couple years ago goes, oh, I know a guy. He knows how to deal with dreams. Sweet. So Joseph comes in. He helps the Pharaoh decipher his dreams. There's going to be this famine. And uh, Pharaoh says, okay, I'm going to put you in charge. And Joseph, who was at one point in the bottom of a well, is now second in charge of all of Egypt. And he's storing up this food because in, in seven years' time, there's a famine coming. And as the famine hits, his brothers show up because they are out of food. He hasn't seen his brothers in how long ago was that? When we were in the well and you saw me, that's been a long time ago. They don't even recognize him. Joseph's an older, he's, he's kind of moved in that second pane of glass now. He's just a different person. And through some rigmarole and some clever, cleverness, uh, Joseph kind of gets them really embarrassed and really scared as so though they're going to get in trouble by kind of tricking them. Um, and finally admits, it's me. He forgives them easily could have gone with the offense, big-time offense, which could have easily caused division, which absolutely could have meant their destruction. But Joseph says this. He says, what you meant for evil, God intended for good so that many lives could be saved. See, Joseph didn't just realize that his life was saved, that he was in a position of authority or power, that, that he had gotten all this stuff. You know what he realized? Lots of people were saved thousands and maybe millions of people were saved because there was a famine coming and he was the perfect tool. He was the circle peg that could go into the circle hole. But for the longest time as he's in jail and he's doing whatever and he's this circle peg and he's trying to get into the triangle and he just doesn't understand, God, what are you up to, bro? Help me understand what is going on here. I'm trying to get in the thing. And God's going, just keep going, look for that hole that matches your peg. Here it is charge of Egypt, and many lives are saved. Because he was different. Because his brothers were different. His brothers learned a lot of lessons along the way. He learned a lot of lessons along the way. And God had put them through it so that many people could be saved. When we go into a church, into our church, 
when we want to volunteer, or we want to help, or we want to serve, or we want to do whatever, that's, that's where our head's at, but, but we're not thinking about kind of what the needs are, or, or, or what we're equipped to do, or maybe there's someone who has a gift of administration that's a little better at plugging you into where you need to be, but instead we get offended, we start square pegging in a, in a round hole, and we just cannot figure this stuff out, it leads to this division, and the division lands in destruction. You know, I am so blessed, as are we all, to have a church body like Axe Church, where we really do forbear. We really do take our patience and time. Yeah, absolutely, you should clap for our church, for yourselves, for us. It is an absolute blessing that we don't just go straight from offense to division to destruction. But it doesn't mean that there aren't offenses. It doesn't mean that there's not a possibility for division. And in those times, that's where we got to step in, we got to fix it. We got to talk about it. We got to pray about it. We got to open up about it. We got to communicate about it. We got to make sure that we're working toward the goal which is put in front of us, which is so that many people can be saved. Because there are people outside of this building that are hurting and they're lost. And they tried church one time. There were a bunch of jerks over there at that church hypocrites, judgmental. I mean, I walked in wearing this outfit and they about kicked me out. I couldn't believe it. You don't have to worry about that here. Praise God. You don't have to worry about that. Come as you are, and let's, let's praise the Lord together. It doesn't matter that you got this guy jumping up and down and doing weird stuff. Great. You want to sit in with your hands folded? That's okay, too. See, we're different, and that's okay. God is glorified and, 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 and made perfect in our differences. If we can agree that it's okay that we're different. It takes what we call emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence just means that I know we're different, and sometimes I'm just going to have to say things in a little different way, maybe, or maybe just not say something. I, I've seen these, these memes that go around. It's like, uh, best way to save on Christmas presents. Okay? And here's how you do it. On Thanksgiving, bring up some crazy topic that everyone's going to hate you for. Right? Then no one, you don't have to buy many presents because they don't want to see you. It'll just ruin the... We'll ruin Thanksgiving and Christmas. Or the nicest people, you should be careful because if you push them too hard, they're also the most mean and they will just destroy you. It's like, that's not the nicest people. That's just someone with a little longer fuse, but it doesn't make them nice if they're just going to destroy you if you push them too hard. It's like, I understand no one should be pushed too hard, uh, but we got to have some amount of emotional intelligence that we, we can discuss these things. We can't discuss these things. We have to say these things this way. We have to say things that way. That's okay. We're different. That's Okay. The, the desire we have to, to square peg round hole is so easily prevalent because we have a sin nature. <laughs> and our desire, our heart, the God, God says our heart is desperately wicked. I love that. Actually, I hate that, but I love the definition. Desperately wicked. We're not talking about someone that goes and, and steals because it's fun or, or they just want to do it. We're talking about that person that's desperate. Would you steal a, bread, a loaf of bread to feed your family type of desperate? That's a totally different type of, your heart is desperately wicked. It wants to do what's wrong. And so we plug into God, we, we get into the scripture, we listen to spiritual teaching, we sing spiritual songs, and we, and we get to this point where our heart is starting to look more and more like his. If you remember another famous brother with lots of brothers, um, whose name was David, and Samuel was going to go and, and appoint a new king, and, and they bring brother after brother in front of Samuel. 
And it's like the oldest, strongest brother, and then this one, and then that one. And they say, I was like, this isn't it. This isn't it. This isn't it. And, and then they say, well, that's it. That's all we got. And he says, are you sure? Are you sure? Well, we got David out there and watching sheep, but you don't, you don't want to see him. Bring, bring him to me. And he comes to him and says, this is him. Why? Because God wants a man after his own heart. The more our hearts are transformed into being like Christ, the more we understand who God is and how we can be more like him, the more likely we are to make the right decisions, to have emotional intelligence, to be able to share with each other. We're going to go back to the verse we started with in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and continue this, this story. We started with body, many parts. You guys remember this? Okay. Uh, starting at verse 15. It says, I should be on verse 15. That's all right, I didn't give you that. We'll start there, 18. But now God has set members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Let me just break this down. If you were all a hand, where's the body? Well, we're all the same. Everybody gets to do the same thing. Well, then How? It doesn't make any sense. Verse 20, but now indeed there are many members and yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And in our unrepresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. That there should be no schism in the body, but that members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now, I don't know if you guys know my backstory here, but we came back to Vancouver a year ago, year and a half ago, because uh, we were in Austin for five years where I was pastoring a church, a very small church. And in Austin, we had this lady, and I've spoken with her, and I have her permission to tell this story, so just, I know you guys are going to wonder. Uh, I won't tell you her name, I'll just tell you the nickname that I had for her. You see, David and I used to get on the phone at night, and we'd talk about what's going on in our churches. You guys have no idea the stuff he told me about you. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I was telling him a story, and I always just called her Loudy McLouderson. That's what I called her. You got Loudy McLouderson over here. And this woman had no ability to control her speaking voice. She could think uh, she was whispering to you and just fill the room. Like she could not control the volume of her voice. She also, and this isn't a judgment or anything, but, but she uh, would like to sit in her car before church. This is Austin, okay? It's not raining. And you could easily do this outside, but she would sit in her car with the windows up. And she would smoke these like little cigar things, little cigarillo things. And so by the time she opened the door and got out, there was a powerful smell. There was a powerful smell on Loudy McLouderson here. And, and Loudy thought that her calling, what she needed to do was anytime there was a visitor, she needed to go up to that person, hug them, walk them around, introduce them to people. So loud, so loud. 
kind of smelly, uh, you know, just wasn't doing what she should be doing. And they're like, hey, have you met this person? And it's like, as a visitor, this has got to be the last thing you want. You don't want Lottie McStinkerson or Stinky McLouderson or however you want to call her leading you around the church. I've had, I had family come down and visit and all of them were like, who is this person? I just call her Lottie McLouderson. Heart of gold. Man, she just wanted the church to succeed. And she loved people. But she was square peg round hole in it in the wrong spot. And, and so we had to kind of help her understand where, where she should be versus where she is today. And, and she, she did learn eventually, but never fully understood the whole you can't be so loud thing. So my wife's going to get mad at me for this story. So we're at church one day. I think I was preaching. I, maybe I was just giving announcements. I don't remember. But, uh, and, and Anna's sitting in the, in the audience here and Loudy shows up and, hey, Anna, how's it going? Right in the middle of my sermon. Hey, what's going on? And he's like, shh, you know, I don't, I don't feel very good. Oh, are you on your period? <laughs> she didn't know. Her, her emotional intelligence was just extremely low. Oh, I just feel so, I'm so sorry. Anna was working in the nursery. Who's watching those kids, by the way? Someone should be. A- I think she went with the, the big ones watching the little one mentality down there. Um, <laughs> she, uh, she just locks the door. It doesn't matter. Throw some cookies in there. Um, now, it's so embarrassing uh, to have to experience something like that, uh, be embarrassed. But, but her heart was in the right place. We're all part of the same body. Some of these body parts we need to be a little more modest about. Uh, maybe she would have been better served running the soundboard or something because then she'd be kind of stuck in that room and she couldn't get out and, uh, and, and be messy with people. But, but her heart was just, she just wanted to help people. She just wanted to love people. She just wanted to talk to them in the middle of a sermon about their bodily functions, apparently. And, and so she just they took correction. Now, very easily, very easily, especially when you're embarrassing somebody like that, it'd be very easy for me to go up and be like, you know what? Don't come back. Find another church. That wouldn't be that, that crazy, would it? I mean, this is a person that's really embarrassing. We can't seem to grow the church at all because everybody who comes just gets nailed by this person. Um, but we didn't do that. Um, and to this day, she still, she still calls me about once a month, asks how we're doing, and sends us cards at Christmas and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I always ask her, have you found a new church yet? And she goes, I haven't yet um, because I don't want to listen to anybody preach but you. And I'm going, that's not a fair, that's not a fair answer. You're not going because you're not going to be able to get to do the stuff that we did when you were with me. And unless they're going to let you, you don't want to go. And that's, so we're working on that. Every time we talk, I say, well, maybe just watch something online. She doesn't have the internet. Okay, it doesn't matter. Going down a rabbit hole there. Uh, she, she has skills. I love her to death. Uh, she needs to kind of be taught what her skills are so that we can find the appropriate hole for her shape of peg. And sometimes that means kind of getting a reality check, like the person trying out for American Idol, like the thing that, that you really want to do at the church, but, but you just, that's not, it's not needed there. Uh, but we do need you here, and we think you're very, very skilled at this. We think that your peg fits this hole. I don't want to be that. I want to be a square peg. I don't want to go in the round hole. Uh, it's, you got to be open. You got to be humble. You got to understand that God created us all to be different, and that means... Uh, you're different than the next person. 
So you can't look at someone else. Man, I wish I would be able to, man, that, that Jeff Joubert, man, he's always just tearing that guitar up. He's tearing, I want to be able to play the guitar. Well, have you ever played the guitar before? No. Well, then I'm probably not going to let you play the guitar. That'd be irresponsible of me. That'd be bad administration by me. So no, <laughs> you're not going to play the guitar. As we, as we walk through these things, the, the, the offense, it, it's, it's going to happen. We've got to work through it so we don't get to that division because we know where division leads, to destruction. We have to identify the offense, and then we have to fix it. In the Bible times, uh, they, they use this, this term of restoring, okay? that, that if there's someone stumbles or falls or is struggling or is going through you know, a, a division or, or whatever, uh, that we want to restore them. And the, the word and the term and the, and the kind of way they were talking, this word restore, it, it, they would be talking about their nets, like the nets they used to fish. You guys ever seen like throw the net out there and they pull the net back? And eventually those nets would get a hole in them, a tear, a break. Now what it does not say is repair. We're going to repair the net. Or when someone has fallen, you should repair them, you should fix them. It says we should restore them. Because in those Bible times, if they were going to fix one of these nets, they would tie it up, back it up with extra pieces of string, or maybe take an old net they're not using and, and grab and kind of graft on so that the net, when it's done, is stronger than it was when it broke. When we say restore, we don't just take us back to where we were. We, we take it to the next level. We, get, we grow them up. We restore each other. And God is a God of restoration. And he has equipped this church with good, solid people. And, and, and more and more come all the time so that we can help to restore one another instead of being divided and then destroyed. See, we're all about restoration, not destruction. And when we are restoring each other, when we're not focused so much about what's right here and we're focused more about what's up there uh, and, and Christ is lifted up among us, imagine what people will begin to see. John 12, verse 32 says, and if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. If he's lifted up, he'll draw the people to himself. So, Loudy McLatterson, you don't have to go and just like grab onto these people and say, sit here and enjoy. Let God be lifted up. He'll draw the people. The Lord knows exactly what's happening. And we pray every Sunday before we do worship, we always, we always pray, stir the hearts of the people in this community and let them know that this is a place where they can come and worship and learn and be restored. Not that we're infighting, not that we're so focused on our division leading to destruction, but instead we're focused only on him. And as we lift him up, he draws the people to himself. And as we go through these things of, that are possibly destruction, that, that this offense that led to division, that Satan came up with his big fat hammer and he tried to break us, that God says, not here, baby. Not in this local expression. Because we take all of it, the old, the young, the new, the in-between, and we bring it into a perfect picture. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up now as I close in prayer. And at the end of our final song, um, we are going to hopefully, hopefully have our broken glass restored. And uh, it's, I, she